Hello, hello, a very warm welcome to you. Welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We're very glad that you are joining us today. A Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast, which is dedicated to and guided, for the most part, by your questions on the Bible. That's right, you can send in your questions to us live on the various online platforms that we have. We'll be fielding those questions and delving into the Word to find the answers to those. Always a very exciting time. We never know quite where it's going to go. <laughs> That's half the fun. That's half the fun. That's not almost yeah. all the fun, yeah. indeed. Yeah. So any honest question that you have, as, as long as you know that we're going to delve into the Bible to find the answers to those, any honest questions. So it could be a specific verse or chapter or book even of Scripture or maybe Christian living or the Christian worldview or maybe other worldviews, things going on in the world, things going on in your world. Anything that you'd like us to delve into the Bible to find some guidance and answers for. That's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. My name is Dave Robson. I will be your host today and uh, the wizard of the technology here, <laughs> uh, following along on all those platforms to get all your questions in. With us today, we have Pastor Sean Richards. How are you doing today? Good. I uh, just started seeing someone. You started seeing someone? Yeah, hallucinations can be pretty scary. Oh, nice. Now, I have a question for you. Yes. The other day you asked me if I was afraid of snakes, and nothing came of that. Can you explain? I wondered whether you were going to throw a snake at me at the end of the show. I was kind of on high alert. Well, not that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's even worse. Well, okay, well. It's the tension that always it, gets you. It really is, and I need more of that in my life. Also with us, uh, Pastor Scott Richards, who's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic, Dave. It's great to be with you. It's, it's good to have you with us. Thank you guys for making yourself available and giving yourself uh, to reason for hope here, being available to answer people's questions. It's very kind of you and also brave, I would say. It's all right for me throwing the questions out, but you guys are the ones that delve into the Word and navigate that. So thank you. Well, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So as long as we stick to the Word, we got nothing to be afraid of. Well, that's a great attitude to have. Yeah. That's absolutely, absolutely right. Well, um, let me share with you the various ways that you can join us. Of course, if you're seeing us and hearing us, you've already found a way. But just in case you want to hop around and you want to get familiar with us, as I mentioned, a reason for hope. Um, it's a, a live broadcast Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Mountain Standard Time in Tucson, Arizona. But you can join us all around the world, whatever time that is uh, for you. It's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you follow that Watch Live tab right there, that will take you to our live page where we stream not only A Reason for Hope, but our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship and, of course, other events that we have as well. You can see a lineup and a schedule of upcoming events, and there'll be a countdown to our next live show. That's if we're off air, but we're on air right now, so you'll see our video there. You'll see a chat function. You can sign in with a username of your choice and be part of the broadcast there. I'll be monitoring those questions and comments as they come on in. The direct link for that is ccftucson.online.church. That's the address you type in to your address bar there, ccftucson.online.church, or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com, as I aforementioned. Uh, of course, we have a Facebook page, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, or facebook.com slash Tucson. Don't forget to like there if you've been blessed by the ministry and share to your own page as well. We'd love to reach out uh, to your friends and have a, a wider spread. So if you've been blessed by the ministry, don't forget to share us around. And that's another way you can just uh, send your question in, uh, in the comment box, in the chat function, send your questions. I will be monitoring those and watching you there as well. We have an app for your mobile device, whether it's iPhone or Android. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You'll see that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app. 
download that on your mobile device. You can watch us there as well. But we have a, a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So look in your channel store and your, in your channels to add that, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And you can watch us on your uh, Roku or Apple TV enabled uh, TV or screen or device. So it's another way you can join us on YouTube. YouTube.com slash at a reason for hope five four six. But don't worry about typing that in. Just search for a reason for hope and you will find us on YouTube. If you go to that live tab right there, it will take you to an archive of every time we've been live. You'll be able to catch up on old shows. Uh, maybe there's a question you want to revisit, or maybe you missed a show and you want to watch it. That live tab there, um, a reason for hope on YouTube. And once again, don't forget to like and subscribe. Click on that bell. That means you'll get notified when we are live as well. In case you're forgetful like me, you'll get a little ping. Oh, they're live. Let's tune on in. So uh, YouTube, it's a great resource, and you can, of course, share those videos around as well. Pastor Scott here is on Twitter. If you're a Twittery kind of person, uh, follow him, Scott R4H, on Twitter. He posts highlights from the show. He posts kind of commentary on things going on in the world, news events and prophetic things, end-time things, all kinds of things, things that are humorous, things that are very interesting, and certainly... Uh, if you uh, walk in with the Lord, some great information on things that are going on as they pertain to end times, biblical things. So follow along with Scott, Scott R4H. Uh, Rumble is a new platform that, sh that Sean hooked us up with here, where our videos are posted as well. A Reason for Hope, Bible Q&A, look for that on Rumble. That's a newer platform that I'm not familiar with, but if you are uh, boycotting one of the other platforms. Always <laughs> <laughs> well, good to have alternatives. That's features. right. Yeah, let's get, let's get out wherever we can. Uh, last but not least, questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. Questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You can email us there, of course, anytime you would like to. If you're listening to us on the radio, then you are listening to our the last show that we did pre-recorded. So you'll want to use our email address and we'll get to that on our next show, questionsforhope at gmail.com. So many ways that you can join us. And once again, please send your questions in. I'll be monitoring those as we go along, and we'll get to those questions, Lord willing, on the show today. Awesome. Well, with all that being said, Pastor Scott, would you like to pray today? I would love to do that. Well, let's ask Sean to then. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Father, I thank you for this opportunity we have to explore your word together. We pray that you would guide and direct the conversation. Thank you for each person. Lord, that is taking time out of their day to uh, be a part of us live. I pray that uh, the questions that you lay on their heart, they'd realize uh, they're not just questions on their mind. They might be questions on the minds of hundreds of other people mm. that are tuning in right now. So uh, allow us just to join together in this mission to be able to minister your word in spirit and in truth together. Thank you, Lord, that your word does have the answers for us. It's the lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Allow us to learn what it means to not only receive your word and recognize its truth, but to rejoice in the fact that you do give us uh, the guidance and direction necessary, not just for life in the here and now, but the hereafter. Mm. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's a great point you made. If it's a honest question, it's a good question. And quite often, if you're brave enough to ask it, I'm sure there's other people listening that have had that same question on their heart as well. So, yeah. so don't be shy with your questions. As long as it's an honest question, it's a good one. And we will get to those. Um, well, Pastor Scott, um, often you have a little kind of update on something going on in the world. Is there anything you'd like to share with us as we Well, a couple today? things uh, have uh, come up before airtime. Uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, things going on in Israel this week, talked a little bit about the judicial reform controversy that is going on. 
uh, continuing to stir things up there. A uh, really interesting article uh, ran on uh, the American Thinker website that, uh, that I think is definitely uh, following the category of signs of the times we want to make you aware of. Uh, it's written by Anita Widberg, and she says, In what is a sign of administration insanity or an open act of anti-Israel animus? The Biden administration plans to give 5,000 Palestinians arms and commando training ostensibly to ensure that the Palestinians in the West Bank region do not engage in terrorist attacks against the Jews, while at the same time insisting that the Israeli Defense Force cut down on its presence in the same area. Talk about the fox guarding the hen house. Uh, writing at the Gatestone Institute, Bassam Tawil says, uh, the Biden administration believes the best way to de-escalate tensions between Israel and the Palestinians is by allowing the Palestinian Authority to recruit more officers to the Palestinian forces in the West Bank. According to reports, the Biden administration officials recently proposed a plan to provide 5,000 Palestinians with commando training in Jordan, then deploy them to areas under control of the PA. The 5,000 officers will bring with them 5,000 rifles to Palestinian cities and towns where almost every Palestinian already has a weapon. In addition, the plan would require Israel to sharply curtail IDF counterterror operations. The Biden administration, in other words, wants Israel to stop defending itself and rely on the Palestinian leadership and the new Palestinian commandos to go after the terrorists. Palestinian officials, meanwhile, are busy glorifying uh, terrorism and not only paying visits to the families of terrorists, they still have a policy that is alive and kicking that provides a pension for life for any one family who has a son or daughter detonates themselves in a suicide attack against Israelis. Uh, this would leave the Israelis uh, with the rights neither to self-defense nor hot pursuit. Terrorists would be able to strike inside Israel, then run back to the Palestinian areas where they will be home free. Instead of being arrested, they will be celebrated. Uh, organizations like the Zionist Organization of America, the oldest pro-Zionist organization in the United States, uh, were rightly horrified by the proposal, uh, which arms Israel's most genocidal enemies, to watch over Jewish communities while kicking Israel out of the picture. Uh, again, uh, Americans and other foreign forces on the ground, uh, according to the Zionist Organization of America, become sitting ducks subject to Palestinian Arab terror attacks. American and foreign soldiers would also become human shields who block Israel from going after the terrorists, lest foreign forces be caught in the crossfire. Further, the PA would want foreign forces to include Iranians, therefore introducing even more terror into the region. I'm not making this up. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, again, there's a lot more to say on the subject. Uh, the uh, comments on the American thinker side of things, uh, the author said this, well, I'm struggling to figure out is uh, whether the Biden administration is stupid and deluded or in keeping with my fox guarding the hen house analogy, crazy like a fox, having come up with yet another way to destroy Israel. However, one views it, it is clear sign that the Democratic Party, which once strongly supported Israel, is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, a continuum of the 3,000-year-long unbroken Jewish connection to the land of Israel and a bastion of light as the sole liberal democracy in the Middle East has now firmly embraced the tyrannical, genocidal Palestinian cause. Uh, you know, the uh, fascinating thing in all of this, it kind of goes back to uh, a famous comment from Benjamin Netanyahu. He said that if the Arabs laid down their weapons, uh, there would be peace, uh, there would be no longer conflict in the Middle East. 
if Israel laid down their weapons, there would no longer be Israel in the Middle East. Mm. So uh, if wow. the United States is, in fact, uh, pursuing uh, this uh, really tragically uh, wrong-minded uh, procedure of arming the enemies of Israel, where this comes into things biblically uh, goes along with a passage that we've told you about on a number of occasions. Some people wonder why the United States hasn't been judged by God, certainly uh, our uh, proclivities towards abortion, our number one status in providing pornography to the world would seemingly put us to the head of the list as far as, uh, well, maybe some divine retribution coming our way. Mm. Why haven't we been judged so far? Well, again, I think God takes into account that there is a righteous remnant. There are people there who love him or serve him, uh, trying to get uh, the message out to as many people as uh, they can. God is uh, incredibly patient, giving people the, every opportunity to turn to faith in him. That's possible. Another possibility is that uh, from the inception of Israel onward, the United States has been a stalwart friend to Israel. And in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, God made a promise to Abraham regarding his descendants, specifically the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people of Israel, that he would bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. Uh, right now, uh, because of our policies, we have been on the blessing side of things, I believe, but that's subject to change. Arming and training uh, in commando tactics, 5,000 individuals whose, uh, well, uh, sworn duty according to uh, their religious sensibilities in Islam is to kill as many Jews as they possibly can. Uh, I, I think it's wrongheaded at best and uh, may actually have uh, some uh, really negative motivations behind it at worst. So uh, we really need to pray about this. If you are of the proclivity to talk to your elected officials uh, about this, I think it would be a good idea to express as a friend of Israel and as a born-again Christian and as a person who votes, uh, that you are incredibly concerned about this, that they look into this and that they stand in the way of something like this that could do so much damage to Israel. Mm. So I, I think that's uh, that's certainly uh, one thing. Uh, we got some questions about uh, an article that ran as well on the Babylon, or the Not the Bee site, that is the news site of the Babylon Bee, about the uh, rise of artificial intelligence. You guys have heard mm. about uh, these new uh, artificial intelligence-generated programs uh, that have, say, successfully uh, passed uh, the bar exam. Uh, they've gotten into medical school. They wow. will write essays for you. They'll even do theology for you. It's a fascinating development. You guys are fired then, I guess. Uh, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, uh, we're running out of uh, reasons to be here. And uh, it's interesting you'd put it that way. Because uh, artificial intelligence uh, now is on the verge of giving birth to a new kind of religion, believe it or not. An article on the Not the Bee website uh, quotes Neil MacArthur, the direction of the Center of Professional Applied Ethics at the University of Manitoba, uh, saying this, We are about to witness the birth of a new kind of religion. In the next few years, or perhaps even months, we'll see the emergence of sects devoted to the worship of artificial intelligence. The latest generation of AI-powered chatbots trained on large language models have left their early users awestruck and somewhat terrified by their power. These are the same sublime emotions that lie at the heart of our experience of the divine. People already seek religious meaning from very diverse sources. There are, for instance, multiple religions that worship extraterrestrials or their teachings. As these chatbots come to be used by billions of people, it is inevitable that some of these users will see their AIs as higher beings. We must prepare mm. 
for the implications. Uh, what's interesting is that uh, MacArthur isn't opposed to AI worship. He's in favor of it. What? Here, here's his quote. <laughs> They will require careful, responsible regulation to ensure companies are not deliberately exploiting users and assure that AI worshippers are not being told to commit acts of violence. However, we should not try to suppress AI-based religions merely because of the possible dangers, nor should we require that the AI companies restrict the functioning of their bots to prevent the emergence of these religions. On the contrary, we should celebrate the arrival of AI worship. We should make it clear that we welcome the new religions, that we value their beliefs, for all its dangers, AI-based religion has the potential to make the world a better, richer place. It will give people access to a new source of meaning and spirituality at a time when many older faiths are losing relevance. It will help them make sense of our era of rapid technological change. Well, it kind of goes back, I think, to something that uh, I believe it was H.L. Mencken once said, that in the beginning, God made man in his own image and likeness, and ever since then, we've been trying to return the favor. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, this idea of AI, uh, the idea of uh, a uh, computer program approaching, uh, as they would say in the Terminator movies, self-awareness. Yeah. Uh, certainly the stuff of frightening uh, sci-fi flicks. Arthur C. Clarke, back in 1963, wrote a short story about the emergence of an AI-like technology. If you've seen 2001, A Space Odyssey, you know that HAL, the computer, uh, ends up uh, being self-aware uh, self-protecting, uh, goes haywire because he has been asked to lie, which goes against his programming, and then systematically tries to kill all the astronauts mm. uh, in an act of self-defense. Well, Arthur C. Clarke wrote another story that talked about the rise of an AI-like uh, computer, incredibly sophisticated, uh, when uh, finally uh, it achieved this sense of modern AI being able to answer the big questions. Someone asks it the ultimate question. Is there a God? Uh, the computer stops and thinks about it, notes that there is no way anybody can turn off its power source at this point, and replies, uh, there is now. So, uh, <laughs> really interesting. And, and where this ties in biblically, I, I, I posted on this in our Twitter feed. But I remember, uh, gosh, the first uh, Christian book that I read apart from the Bible was Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth, which mm -hmm. gives you a really still a very good overview of the major events in biblical prophecy. Uh, the New York Times, a number one bestseller of the entire decade of the 70s, believe wow. it or not. Uh, but uh, one of the things, reading about biblical prophecy, not knowing anything about all of this, I was just fascinated by all these things. The rise of the Antichrist, uh, especially this last day's world-dominating mm -hmm. dictator, and so on. And one of the things they pointed out in Revelation chapter 13 was that the Antichrist is going to have a protege, uh, a false prophet, if you will, uh, who is going to lead the world in worship of the Antichrist in a really interesting way. It says that he's going to make an image of the beast and breathe life into it mm. so that it is going to cause all people who don't worship the beast to be killed. Mm. Now, that's going to be its number one function. Mm. Uh, in order to receive the uh, classic mark of the beast, uh, 666, and so on, your right hand or your forehead, you have to worship the beast and his image. image. Mm. Now, when I first read Lake Great Planet Earth, my first thought was, oh, come on, who's going to worship, you know, uh, you know, uh, an image? I was thinking of images along the lines of a few minutes with Mr. Lincoln at Disneyland. Mm. Did anybody ever actually 
go through a few minutes with Mr. Lincoln at Disneyland. It was, <laughs> I, I remember back when they used to sell you tickets, you'd always have your ticket for the Main Street and that sort of thing left over. Nobody, nobody ever goes see it. You know, you know it's kind of corny. And you go, okay, these are robots, you yeah. know, audio animatronics. But uh, when we're achieving this and we have serious thinkers with PhDs from major universities now saying things like, uh, well, not only is AI uh, worship possible, we should encourage it. Well, is AI worship going to be uh, that which uh, takes the place of this image of the beast? Is that what that's all about? Possible. We don't mm. know for sure. Uh, but it certainly does seem to be greasing the skids in that direction. Yeah. No. Man. Any thoughts? Nope. Nope. These are very interesting times that we are living in. Yeah, sure. very, very interesting indeed. And if you want to uh, read uh, more about this, I just encourage you to go to uh, notthebee.com. Mm. Uh, the title of the article is Will Advanced AI Result in New Religions? And if you've never yeah. checked out Not the Bee, uh, it is sort of a subsidiary of the Babylon Bee and provides uh, some really interesting summaries of news events on a daily basis. Mm. It's really a good read, yeah. a good good way to find out what's going on in the world. There are commentators good. there. Really uh, uh, in, interesting and uh, and on point theologically as well. Yeah, so, very yeah. good. Well, thank you for sharing that and those, those resources as well. Wow. Crazy, crazy. Well, we've got some great questions coming in. If you guys are ready to delve into this, let me jump to some questions that with people that are live with us. I know we have a few um, leftover questions from the other day as well, but um, question from... Regina, this is a simple but profound question. Will God be more happy with me if I forgive? Well, so, that's keeping in mind the passage, you know, if you forgive others your sins, your Father in heaven will forgive you your sins. Right. If you do not, then your Father will not. It's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah it that's is. kind of a challenge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is a very direct uh, exhortation, if you will. But I think the confusion that a lot of people have on these topics is the idea that if God's happy with me, that's my assurance of my relationship with him. If I make God upset, then that equates to my relationship with God being fractured, mm. as if God's this hormonal teenager that depends on you for emotional stability, not actually standing on commitment. So you get the joke, but the point being made is this. Does God make me happy? or do I make God happy, are both non-starters when it comes to a biblical definition of a relationship. There's certainly byproducts. They can accompany those things. But, for example, the entire book of Job's thesis is God is good even when things are bad. There are a lot of negative feelings right. yeah. shared among yeah, Job and certainly. his friends, yeah. yet Job's relationship with God remained intact. So when we ask ourselves the question, why do I do the things that I do for God, even that in and of itself is a non-starter, because everything we do that's right, as far as our eyes are concerned, what we think is right, are filthy rags in the sight of God, according to Zechariah chapter 4. So if we ask the question, and Isaiah makes that point as well, but if we instead take a step back and ask ourselves the question, what pleases him? What honors him, what reflects him in a way that not only brings him pleasure, a smile to his face, if you will, but fulfills the purpose that we're still on this earth to achieve, look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. And while that certainly includes forgiveness, it isn't limited to that. It's judging with righteous judgment. It's rebuking and correcting those who make themselves obstacles between those with a relationship with God and those who don't, yeah. people who make life 
harder for people who genuinely want to pursue God, people who misrepresent God and his character, opposing that, and so forth. And I think the best way for us to understand how do I make God happy in the most broad sense possible, it's to reflect on Jesus's self-assessment, which we take seriously, by the way. I do all things to please the Father. Yeah. And if that's our character, if that's our goal in life, then we do make him happy. But we need to be very careful with the idea of, since God is happy, I have a relationship with him. Mm, yeah. Remember, God's a lot better on commitment than we are and not uh, dependent on emotions for that relationship to flourish. God causes his reign, blessings to a farmer, to fall on the just and the unjust. So yeah. keep those two things in mind. But the character of Jesus, if that includes forgiveness, it does. Yeah. That'd be a start. Yeah, you know, I really like the point that you made about the fact that uh, God can look upon, say, an attitude, an action uh, in our hearts uh, as something that can be displeasing to him. He, yeah. he can have an emotional reaction to that. There's a fascinating passage in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, that tells me something. It's possible through my behavior to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, that's pretty mind-blowing that the God who created all things uh, and is holding the entire universe together and is worshipped by angels in heaven uh, can have his emotions affected by what's going on with me. But that is what that passage is saying. And how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, again, it gives a cure for it. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So, you know, what I really love about the answer there that you gave, Sean, is this. Like you said, God isn't some, you know, hormonal teenager where, say, I'm never going to talk to you ever again. You know, and the feelings and, gone, you know, and, and <laughs> so, the, you know, well, you know, you, you blew it, you, you made me upset. So we on you, no, God finishes what he starts and he loves us and he's always going to be there for us. Does God desire for us to be forgiving with one another? Remember, he's our heavenly father, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and if you've ever been in a family situation where people get on the outs, yep. where they won't speak to one another, where they hold mm -hmm. grudges you know, inevitably there's somebody in that family situation that wants to see these people come back together. Right. Uh, but when they don't, that person who wants to see them come back together, what's the emotion they usually experience? Well, a sense of grief, yeah. a sense of loss about what the relationship used to be or could be, mm -hmm. but is not. Yeah. So I think God feels the same way. Isn't that right. an odd thing to say? God feels that he cares about us that much right. to be that emotionally invested in us. And, mm -hmm. and if he cares that much, it also is very encouraging because he's not going to leave us alone until we see things and, and deal with things his way. Right. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. Great question, Regina. Thank you for that. I hope that helps you out. Uh, great question indeed. Uh, question here from Jenna. Does This is an interesting debate as well, thing to <laughs> think through. Does God limit himself and miracles based on our faith? Um, she notes that sometimes you can quote-unquote, see more miracles happen at like a Pentecostal church as opposed to maybe here at Calvary Chapel where we maybe don't put as much emphasis on sign and wonders and all those kind of things. So is it our faith um, that lacks when we don't see those miracles? Um, does, God does God limit himself? 
Yeah, it's a it's a funny slogan, I guess, when people advertise themselves as the church where God works. Right. But um, it, it's again, I just want to make sure I'm approaching this from the right angle because I think and this was a good rebuke to me at one point as well. When we see people come to saving faith, a redeeming and ultimately eternally impactful relationship with Jesus Christ, the reason why, for example, people were so excited about the uh, was it Asbury revivals, Asbury, Asbury. Yeah. and uh, other places, is because the greatest possible miracle was taking place, not just to individuals but to groups. And when we discount the greatest possible work of God, this side of heaven, <laughs> better than the parting of the Red Sea, according to Scripture, better than the you know raising of the dead of children to their parents again, the fact that a soul destined for eternal separation from God would literally be remade at its foundation because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the entire purpose and nature of prophecy, the entire foundation and reason why God's revealed himself to us in the first place, and yet we entertain ourselves with people making weird noises. <laughs> so when people advertise and say, you're going to see miracles, yeah. I think that they're frankly missing the point of what a miracle is. And we, we've clarified this a lot on the broadcast. A miracle is generally understood right. to be something that wouldn't have happened without God's direct intervention into the affairs of men. But what's oftentimes get discounted is that the Holy Spirit, the most active and personal member of the Trinity these days and ages, at least at this time of the church age, is the one changing hearts and minds, an active conviction an awareness in the life of a Christian to recognize this isn't godly, a non-believer to even consider the things of God are all miracles, things that would not have happened according to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So we need to, first of all, I think, raise our standards a bit when people put on this dog and pony show. The second thing is, and again, we can go through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, verse by verse, and people from Pentecostal groups will just wave their hands and say, well, that doesn't mean what it says. When it comes down to the kind of miracles we should expect God to do, I, I could, again, test all things and hold fast to what is good. I can ask, where's the basis and purpose for this, as demonstrated in Scripture, and maybe even expose a few false prophets along the way. But the key difference, I think, between the person who's excited and looking for miracles and the person who's entertained by God things is ultimately found in his word. If we want to see God work, we're going to want to know what God does. If people advertise God is doing things, then I think we're um, not just looking the wrong direction, but being led in a wrong direction, which is why if you go to a Pentecostal quote-unquote church that says we're better than all those other churches because God really works here, but don't take the time to explain, to build up the people who attend there in the knowledge of the true and living God, right. to understand as miracles are happening, and note, won't deny they're legitimate or not, mm -hmm. but showing where and when God stated this is the sort of thing that I do and will do and continue to do, yep. I'd say they're being misleading. Mm -hmm. And that's not a miracle. That's called false prophecy. Mm. That's called mis just deception. That's called a lie. So if we ask the question, 
why does God work certain miracles in other churches than others? It's not because they have, quote-unquote, more faith. It's because they're reading and responding to his word, the thing that God's worked through from the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we then ask the question, does that happen in Pentecostal churches? Quote me. Absolutely. People come to a relationship with Jesus in Pentecostal churches. Right. Does God work in salvific works in Calvary Chapel circles? Yes. Calvinistic circles? Yes. Liber- or Lutheran churches or whatever denomination you want to name? Yes. Anyone who comes to a saving relationship with Jesus, that's the miracle I want to witness. Yeah. That's the one I want to be a part of. But if on the other hand we, uh, I guess, uh, I, I won't uh, continue to bag on this, but the point being made I think is straightforward. Understand what a miracle is before we consider the more dramatic as superior, yeah. whereas mm-hmm. God's priorities may be a little different than ours. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean, maybe the best way to answer that question about uh, you know can our lack our faith or lack thereof you know limit God in terms of uh, what He's going to do? Well, not in the sense that somehow it puts a cap on His power, right? But remember something. That's good to know. Miracles, <laughs> okay? Uh, you know, synonymous with the idea of miracles. Miracles are described in Scripture as mighty works, mm. but they're also interestingly described as signs. Mm. Now, a sign is only useful if it points you in the right direction. Right. If it points you in the wrong direction, then it, you know it's not a good thing. Mm. And so there are some people that are looking for signs, but they're looking for signs that will inevitably lead them not to God, but away from God, mm. into almost an addiction mm. to seeing uh, sensationalistic things happen. Yeah. In Matthew 12 and verse 38, some of the scribes and Pharisees uh, said to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Mm. Well, Jesus did signs all the time. What's the problem with that? Uh, but Jesus answered and said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Mm. In other words, what Jesus said is, I'm going to give you the sign above all signs. And you know the you know having you know walked for a time in this neck of the Christian woods, I can say good things about it and bad things about it. The good things I would say about people that are really into signs and wonders and miracles and go to church with the expectation that God is going to do the miraculous is this: they actually expect God to be actively involved in their lives, which I think is right on. Yeah. Okay. okay. Fantastic. But where it gets bad is this: if you go to a service and there aren't so many signs and wonders or miracles. If you go to a service and there's just worship and the teaching of the word and, mm-hmm. you know, um, no one gets healed or, or you know, some other sensationalistic thing doesn't go on, you go, oh, the spirit wasn't really moving tonight. Yeah. Well, okay, you're following signs, but are is your following signs pointing you in the right direction? Is your following signs pointing you to God or is it pointing you to need to have a new sign all the time in order to validate your right. relationship with God, in order to find assurance in your relationship with God? You know, it's really interesting that Jesus says an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. But in Mark 16, Jesus said these signs will follow those who believe. Mm. He doesn't say those who believe are going to follow signs. Uh, you know, we even see in the book of Acts in an era where miracles were happening in a very profound and undeniable way, that there were people like Simon the Sorcerer 
who was able to bamboozle people with pretty much sleight of hand deceptions and tricks. Mm. And people said, this is the great power of God. This guy uh, must be like the Messiah. Why? Because they weren't reading the word. They were watching this guy's show. And he was yep. more than willing to take them in on all of this. You see, in that very same season of life in the church, mm. you had the real deal and you had clever counterfeits. Mm. Just because something seems miraculous or supernatural doesn't mean that it is. Yep. Doesn't mean they can't happen. You know, we're not over in the cessationist camp that say, well, it's just too messy. It all died with the last apostle. Yep. That's it. Well, okay. then how do you explain the fact that non-apostles, like, say, Ananias, praying for Paul to receive sight, were given the ability to do the miraculous? Doesn't mm. seem like it was just restricted to the apostles. And you put yourself in the same position as the atheist who have to systemically deny on principle all miracle claims being made today. Yeah. Where only one of them has to be legitimate for my entire belief system to collapse. Yeah, and, and, and people usually who fall into this, and I've been on that side of the fence as well because I've seen charisma turn into charismania. Yeah. yeah. Where people are just calling attention to themselves and behaving like, uh, you know, out of control uh, individuals uh, in the name of God. Mm. And it turns people off and it turns them away from the gospel. And yeah. and for a while, I really reacted against that. But one thing I really love uh, about uh, the Calvary Chapel movement, one of the reasons I'm a part of it, was uh, you know Chuck Smith wrote a book that originally was called Charisma Versus Charismania. And mm. uh, another book called Living Water on the Ministry of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we discover is God does signs and wonders and miracles, no doubt about it. Mm. We've seen signs and wonders and miracles in our fellowship, uh, just some that are just absolutely mind-blowing, undeniable uh, interventions of God, mm. uh, no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, as, as you said, Sean, man, I, I would trade any and all of them just to see one miracle of an individual who doesn't know the Lord, having their eyes open to understand uh, that, that Jesus is the Lord, because signs and wonders will come and go. Someone who receives Christ as their Savior, that's an eternal miracle. Yep. And, and, and that's definitely what we want to focus on, not throwing out the other stuff. You know, again, I love what First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19 says about this. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. In other words, I'm not here to tell the Holy Spirit what he can do or can't do. He will always act in harmony with his word, but he doesn't have to clear things with me first. As a matter of fact, sometimes the, the times where the Lord has, has been working the most powerfully are the times where, quite frankly, I'm most nervous mm. because it's getting me out of my comfort zone. Right. It's getting me into the realm of, I can't control this. This is not following my expectations, yeah. so to speak. <laughs> and that's always a good thing. You know, it teaches me to trust God. It teaches me to put fear in his proper place. Wonderful. But he's never going to act contrary to his Spirit-inspired Word. We can right. check these things out. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, it mm. says. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Yep. Uh, you know, we're going to see tonight in our study in Ezekiel that there were some individuals that took it upon themselves to prophesy, even, I believe, taking some riffs from a genuine prophet like Jeremiah and twisting them for their own purposes to be somebody to have a following and, and you know to be respected and as we're going to see tonight god takes a very dim view of that sort of thing mm. so you know when someone says uh come to our meeting tonight between eight o'clock or seven and eight o'clock god is going to be healing people well, why isn't he healing them now yeah you know if this person really has this heal on command anointing from god 
why do you have to go to the auditorium? Why aren't they down at, uh, you know, Banner Health clearing out the ER? Um, you know, so when people say that sort of thing, it, it, there's a check in my spirit about it. I've seen too much of it when I was on that other side. Uh, I don't want to go so far on the other side to say that God can't do these things or doesn't do these things, because he does. But we need to be critical spiritual consumers. We need to come to signs and wonders and miracles with our Bibles open. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to the original question, uh, was, you know, the, uh, the, was there some ability of people to limit what God wanted to do? The reference there is Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus speaks in uh, a synagogue uh, in Nazareth, his own hometown. And uh, the response was they were astonished and they said, where did this man get these wisdoms and this wisdom and this might, these mighty works? This is not the carpenter's son. Is not his mother called Mary, his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. His sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. Okay, that's pretty key. But Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. Now, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, notice it doesn't say he didn't do any, he mm. didn't do many. Mm. In other words, Jesus was about the business of meeting needs and healing people who needed healing, and, and he wasn't going to be reactive, if you will. But I think he could have done a lot more if a lot more people had come to him and said, you know, Jesus, I got a need. But instead of saying, Jesus, I got a need, they were like, Jesus, you're not fitting into my box. Jesus, we grew up with you. You know, Jesus, how dare you say you're the Messiah? We know your family. You're no great shakes. You know, how can we possibly think you're supernatural when, you know, you, you're just another guy from the hood in a sense? You know, because these people were offended at him, they wouldn't come to him. And if they didn't come to him, they couldn't receive. You know, it wasn't that there was some, as we say, limiter or lid put on mm. the power of God because of their unbelief. And a lot of people in the faith movement will teach that. And so they say, you got to really gin up your faith and get yourself worked into an emotional state, and then God will work and move. God doesn't need my emotions to be able to do a supernatural work. You know, I, I'm open to anything God wants to do, but these things will follow those who believe. Yep. It, it's really an error if we start following those things. Uh, it, it'll lead you astray in a New York minute. Yeah. Yeah, and here is, I mean, you can probably say the same, I imagine, for all Calvary chapels, the priority... Most, anyway. Yeah, most. The priority when we gather together is to teach God's Word, right? To grow, to be edified, and grow in knowledge of God's Word. And yeah. that's we, we give priority to that rather than, like you were saying, the priority is to get together and see something supernatural and signs and wonders and those kind of things. Well, here's the deal. And Chuck Smith made it very, very clear, and this has been the watchword of Calvary Christian Fellowship, prayerfully, anyway. And we're here to worship God in spirit and in truth. We yeah. seek such to be his worshipers. Right. We come here to worship. Yep. You know, we, we don't come for a lecture on biblical facts. Yeah. You know, we can fall into that trap. Yeah. Uh, we don't come to be entertained at a musical concert. You know, we don't come because, boy, I'm feeling low and I need my emotions kind of jazzed up. Yeah. Um, no, we come to worship God in spirit and in truth. Yep. We can come before the Lord. We can seek him as we seek him and express our hearts to him in worship. Uh, in praise, singing to him a new song with a newness of heart, uh, remembering him, giving thanks to him, entering into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts mm -hmm. with praise. We come into contact with him, but we also find from his word how he should be worshiped. Yep. And they're inseparable, you know, right. worship, the teaching of the word. Well, they're not either ors, they're both ands. Mm -hmm. In fact, 
worship best understood is the teaching of the word. Right. You know, to say one is more important than the other, it's like asking again, which wing of the airplane do you want intact at 30,000 feet? Yeah. Kind of need both. Like both, yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's worship in spirit and in truth, not just in truth, but boy, we're nervous about this spirit stuff. Right. Not just in spirit, but oh, you bring out the Bible, you've quenched everything, you know. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> we want spirit and in truth. Yeah. Then, then we'll be fine. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Very good. Well, Jenna, thank you for that, that question. Great question and great discussion. Hope that uh, helps you out. And thank you for being part of the broadcast today. Um, question from Ish, I think your name is. That's how it's spelled. Anyway, I-S-H, Ish. Uh, what is Ramadan and how is this a tool to witness to the Islamic community? I defer to our resident yes. uh, battler with the Islam yes. online. Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Sean <laughs> yeah. Richards. Yeah. We'll take it from here. Speaking <laughs> of personal risk, uh, yeah, Ramadan's one of the five pillars of Islam. It's a designated Persian pagan fast that's actually a feast. Muslims consume more unhealthy food at that time than either time during the year. Uh, basically, from sunrise to sundown, as they would measure it by their traditional standards, they are to abstain from all food, water, and marital activities. Then when the sun goes down and before the sun comes up, they engage in some uh, wholehearted gourmet gluttony, for lack of a better term. But it is a public gathering. It is a Islamic tradition where a lot of people who claim to know Jesus but don't are going to be doing things in the name of God and will, of course, be spending this time, this month, uh, more than any other time of the year, investing themselves into their faith, their understanding of who God is, and as it was revealed to them by who they believe to be a prophet. Um, if they're in the mood to talk about God things and if they are very eager after having starved themselves all day, and if you've ever like eaten a lot at one given point in time and then gone a long time afterwards, you know your stomach expanded, your body processes it, it not only makes you very sluggish, but it also makes you very hangry and eager for more when you get used to that amount of food. It's obviously a very horrible thing they're doing to themselves, which is why, especially during Ramadan months, businesses have to adjust for huge influxes of food purchases, mm. and also why diabetes and obesity are on the rise in Muslim nations more than any other right now. Uh, but the point uh, being made is this. Um, if you want to know more information about Ramadan, we can recommend some resources. But if you want to use it as a tool for evangelism, uh, first of all, it is going to be something that most Muslims would be all too eager and willing to have you join them in. Uh, you can have good conversations with them there, but be prepared because you might find some individuals that are very much uh, considering the roots of that belief system at those gatherings as well. So be wise about it. Secondly, when you're participating in these feasts, it might communicate to them that, oh, you're considering Islam, and then they'll be trying to proselytize you at the same time and end up resulting in the opposite effect. The two key foundations for wisdom when it comes to approaching the Ramadan feast and the Ramadan season is, as we always say when engaging with people who claim to know Jesus but don't, is to know what kind of questions to ask and being not weak but meek enough to say, you know, that's interesting. Can I look that up and get back to you? Because you're going to have a full month of people who are going to be at the same place or in the same general places. Mm for the same reason, and they're going to be in a very God mood, if you pardon the term. Yeah. So um, it 
gives them an initiative to want to get passionate and invest in their Islamic faith more at this time of the year than others. But at the same time, it can send mixed signals. So be careful, both socially and uh, intellectually. Be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, as our Lord says. And when it comes down to it, if you're going to engage in these Ramadan fasts, don't just show up. Uh, no, find one of them. Get a relationship going with one of them. Have a genuine interest in not only caring about them, but making sure that they know that that's your intention. And if they invite you, or if you offer the opportunity and say, hey, uh, you guys are doing Ramadan here, make sure that it's by their will and invitation, because regardless of the ceremony or history behind it, you show up for a big meal that's intended for family and religions. We'd be probably confused, too, if uh, some homeless guy came in during a uh, baby shower or something. This is something that's intended to be personal. Right. So just keep those things in mind. And uh, I, again, recommend great resources on Ramadan. But regarding evangelism, wisdom, I think, is the best key. Mm. Right on. Very good. Great question, Ish. Hope that helps you out. Thank you for that question. We appreciate it. A uh, question from Taylan. Uh, this could be referring to what we talked about at the beginning of the show with the AI religions. Um, Taylan asked, do you think these new religions could be helpful or harmful in finding the truth and why for each? Well, l- let me let me just tackle that as directly as I can because we have spent some time on the issue and you can uh, look that over again, Taylan, at your, your leisure. You know, there's an old saying that if it's, uh, as far as God's truth is concerned, if it's uh, new, it isn't true. Mm-hmm. If it's true, it isn't new. Right. Um, you know, are you going to be able to find uh, a deeper relationship with God by worshiping some uh, AI program? I doubt it. Mm. In fact, I'm sure of it. Uh, it's just a fancy idol. The Bible says guard yourself from these sort of things. Uh, you know, as far as it could be helpful or harmful in finding the truth, uh, if we can anticipate that there are people that will worship the creature rather than the creator and be able to show people that, you know, an AI, no matter how much it provides the illusion, we were talking a little bit about a few minutes with Mr. Lincoln, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, if it provides the illusion that it's a living thing, it's not. Yeah. It's a incredibly sophisticated computer program. That's all it is, and that's all it ever will be. Uh, God is personal. If you want to know yeah. the personal God who loves you and died for you personally, well, then uh, you're never going to find that the other end of a computer terminal. You can mm-hmm. only find that by worshiping him in spirit and in truth, understanding he sent his son Jesus to die on a cruel Roman cross to pay the price for your sins. He loved you that much, that Jesus rose from the dead so that we could know that this is true. And because he has risen, we are told he's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. All we need to do to enter into a relationship with him is put our faith and trust in what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. He will come into us, give us a brand new heart, a brand new life, something no computer program could ever do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you can uh, say yes to something better, a real relationship with God, why would you want to mess around uh, with, uh, I don't know, the rough equivalent of an incredibly sophisticated magic eight ball? Right. Absolutely. So, <laughs> it seems to me that, I mean, the, the crazier the world is getting, I think I can use that word crazy, it seems the line in the sand is getting kind of, kind of wider. Would you believe where people are just questioning, like, I used to trust in the government and the medical system and all these things, and and now they just can't anymore. And it seems like people are searching more. So in that sense, it could be helpful. You know, hey, worship through this AI system. What? That's crazy. You know, it might cause people to 
search for the actual truth. So yeah. Yeah, well, not the truth is still not the truth, but people matter. So when it comes to maybe on our end, the fact that all these new religions are giving us more that we have to deal with, more to read up on, all that stuff, yeah, it's a headache. But we are willing to suffer it because the people who are buying into these things do matter. I think mm-hmm. the less sophisticated uh, a false religion is, I think the easier it's going to be to point a person in the right direction. But when it comes to oh, you know, all religions have some smidgen of truth in there, doesn't make it any less of a direct route than hell. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you could be having a marvelous turkey dinner, but if uh, there's a smidgen of arsenic in it, <laughs> it's not going to be a good experience. Yes, very true. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Especially if they put it in before cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Don't dwell on that too long. Yeah. Um, a question from Taylor as well. Is hell torment or torture? What is the difference? And... I know, I mean, to expand on this question, I, I know I used to think of hell as being torture, you know, flames and yeah, burning. Yeah, straight out of Dante, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then more recently, the theory of it's more torment, where we're basically turned over to our own devices and longings for eternity and separate from God and that kind of thing. So do we know if, if hell is torture or torment? What's the difference? What do we know about that? Hopefully we won't get to experience that in person, or well, we know we won't, but... Yeah, yeah well, this is something you shared a uh, number of times. Yeah, torture is external, torment is internal. It, mm. That's literally the most simple way to put it. Yeah. Scripture never uses the word torture. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's translated as that. But torment is the objective term, and it's a reference to, as you stated, Dave, this state of internal anguish rather than an external Uh, When we, for example, look at Revelation 14 and the warning given to those who would take the mark of the beast, it says they will have the wrath of God poured out full strength on them and their smoke of their torment will ascend before the throne day and night forever and ever and they will have no rest who worship the image of the beast and and, uh, his image or uh, and take the mark of his name. So the point being made in that is when we're asked, is the lamb and are the angels the ones torturing them? Mm. That's not supported by the text and not justified anywhere else. But if on the other hand, we note how God judges sin, both in the immediate and in the eternal, Romans 1 style, we note that God gives them up as the greatest judgment. The second worst plague of the tribulation, the drying up of the river Euphrates, people wonder, why is that worse than a, <laughs> you know, a, basically a sneak preview of hell coming on the Antichrist kingdom or the entire ocean and all drinking water turning to blood? And the reason is, it was for the purpose so that the kings of the east would march and gather at the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon as it's called. Now, why is that a plague? It's God literally giving up on saving mankind. It's allowing him to destroy himself. And the point being made is that when we look at hell, we're not seeing something that's, you know, hot and uh, with the caves and the ragged clothing and, you know, the worst place in the world as Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld advertised it. We're talking about an eternal existence separated from the source of everything good. That's what makes it so horrible. And if we're asking ourselves, what are we doing every day? We're essentially saying that's what we want by nature. Children of wrath, Ephesians 1, 2 says. Yeah. So if we ask the question, uh, 2, 1 rather, but if on the other hand we take a step back and ask, okay, if it isn't in God's nature to torture us, to inflict harm on us, that his wrath being expressed towards us as examples throughout history, both concerning Israel and mankind at large, in giving them over to their devices, allowing them to destroy themselves, mm. 
Sure, Sodom and Gomorrah had a more direct result, but that was because they were being held accountable for things that they knew. And we note as well, there's going to be some distinction between judgment. Those who were beaten with many stripes will be beaten with few. Those who were worthy of few but knew yeah. they would be beaten with many. We can get into that, but for the sake of time, the point of emphasis we need to recognize is whenever Scripture is describing that state known as hell, it's all but summarized in this, God leaving us alone and understanding, darkness. Yeah, and understanding mm-hmm. how horrible that is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the absence of God's light. Boy, C.S. Lewis had a, has a really interesting quote that I think gives some uh, insight into all of this. He said in Mere Christianity, look for yourself and you'll only find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you'll find him and with him everything else thrown in. Mm. Well, if you don't want Jesus, what's the alternative? Hatred, loneliness, right. despair, rage, ruin, and decay. Now, those who reject Jesus really are offended by this sort of thing. You know, it was funny. I had this uh, interaction with this guy who's dropping F-bombs and referring to God in vulgar terms. And uh, I just said, you know, why are you so angry about this? He says, I'm not angry. I'm happy and kind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I looked at that and I said, well, you need, to read your, you, you need to read your history here because... Yeah. You know, he says, well, this is just, I'm from New York. This is the way we, I said, okay, so it's geography's problem. Mm. No, it's, again, hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. If you want an eternity's worth of that, then reject Jesus. That's Mm. what hell is all about. You get to live with yourself forever Mm. and uh, with no hope. Yeah. But God has better things for us. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, No, thank you for that. Well, stick around. We're going to be going live soon, uh, carrying on our study in the book of Ezekiel tonight, about 20 minutes. Yes. Uh, God bless you. We'll see you same time tomorrow for Reason for Hope. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.